Leprechaun Lunch with Sean and Sharpley. Oh, yeah! On 96.1 WSBT, the sports leader. What is this? We're talking Notre Dame football, the NFL, the Cubs, and more. Oh, yeah, I like this idea. The Leprechaun Lunch. Pretty good. With Sean Styers. All you do is dribble. I have to dribble. If I give it to you, you just shoot. And Evan Sharpley. You're a chucker. You chuck. If it's happening in sports, we're talking about it. Flag on the play. Now your hosts, Sean Styers and former Irish quarterback, Evan Sharpley. Leprechaun Lunch with Sean and Sharpley. Glad to have you with us on this Friday. A beautiful Fall Friday, a, a typical Michiana area Fall Friday, I think, because it was beautiful outside for maybe an hour or so. There was sunshine everywhere, and now all of a sudden there's clouds blowing in and wind picking up. Who knows what's going on outside? How how are you? Are, have you been out and about today, Evan? Yeah, I've been out and about. We had a we had a beautiful day yesterday too. Yeah, it was yesterday was perfect, but. Who knows? What is it? Maybe supposed to, we're supposed to get a little precipitation at some point, but yeah, I actually thought we were going to okay. get some earlier today. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, you know, late October, as long as it's not snow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do know that that is coming. Yeah, I know it's it's not going to be long now, but uh, it's amazing. I, I mean, I, I think I probably at least think this every year if I don't say it. Where did October go? Because it's like we're sitting here. We've got one more week. Of October, we're about to get into November. We're only two weeks away from Notre Dame and Clemson, for that matter. At All this right. point, how does does that kind of? It, it seems like Clemson has been sort of forever in the distance for a long time, and now we're we're almost upon it at this time, baby. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting it's getting close here, and that's I mean that's the one everyone's circling. So that's I'm right. Excited, you know. I, it hasn't really felt like a football season. I think now a little bit more it has. Um, that we've kind of settled into at least a little bit of a routine. But Gotten into it, yeah. That's that's the one right there. That's the one. Well, that's still two weeks away, and there's a big one tomorrow. Notre Dame and Pittsburgh kickoff here at 3.30 on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Before we touch on that, I'll tell you about Bud Light Seltzer, which is locally distributed by United Beverage of South Bend. Light and refreshing, a hint of fruit flavor, Bud Light Seltzer, our presenting sponsor. We're also brought to you in part by Legacy Heating and Air. Trust Legacy Heating and Air for all of your heating, cooling, and now plumbing needs. Visit them at Legacy Heating and Air, Inc. Com. By Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Contact Sean Stevens in South Bend or Bob Borlick in North Liberty. By Indiana Oxygen, Indiana-born, Indiana-owned, Indiana-proud, Indiana Oxygen on County Road 20 in Elkhart. And by Four Winds Casino, South Bend. Four Winds, South Bend, escape the everyday. So we've got Notre Dame and Pittsburgh tomorrow, 3.30. The Panthers 3-3, three 2-3 and three, two and three in the ACC after their 31-19 road loss at Miami. Starting quarterback Kenny Pickett didn't play in that game due to an ankle injury, might not play tomorrow versus Notre Dame. Head coach Pat Narduzzi, elusive when he was asked about it earlier this week. Joey Yellen filled in for him last week. He was 22 of 46, 277 yards with a touchdown pass. Their run game was stuffed. 26 carries, 22 yards against the Hurricanes. No, that is is not very good at all. (laughs) Notre Dame defense may be licking its chops going up against that. We'll get into that 
and more, including Ian Book and some other things, the red zone offense, all kinds of things as we get ready for a much a much stiffer defensive challenge for the Irish tomorrow against this pit defense. But our coverage begins at 9 a.m. tomorrow with a replay of the Brian Kelly show. Then at 10 a.m., it is the bountiful Legacy Heating and Air game day show with Tim Grau and Vince D'Addario. Bountiful and spacious as they've expanded it to two hours this season. And they're chock full of guests as always. They've got Rocky Blyer, four-time Sweet. Super Bowl champ with the Pittsburgh Steelers, a 1966 Notre Dame national champion. Uh, also remembering their Irish offensive, uh, Irish o- overtime win against Pitt in 2012, Mike Golick Jr. from ESPN and uh, various teammates from that game. A look inside this year's offensive line with offensive lineman Trevor Ruland, who played for the Irish from 2015 to 2019. From Holtz's Heroes Foundation, 88 National Championship linebacker Wes Pritchett and 99 Notre Dame safety Justin Miko. Last-minute report on the Irish with Dr. Brian Radigan and Brian Driscoll from Irish Breakdown as well. Then after that, the game day show at noon. It's Budweiser's game day sports beat with Darren Pritchett and I. We'll take you till 2.30 when the Notre Dame Radio Network pregame show begins. A little after 3.30, Notre Dame versus Pittsburgh will kick off at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, where Chase Claypool has been putting up some big numbers lately. And then at about 7 o'clock, Reggie Brooks and I break it all down with the Notre Dame football postgame show. We'll take you to somewhere between 8.30 and 9 o'clock tomorrow. So it's a full day, as always. That's right, baby. (laughs) That is right. So let let me start you with this, because Notre Dame and Pittsburgh... Evan used to play almost every year before Notre Dame began its ACC affiliation. And of course, you know, there was Pittsburgh kind of got in there, you know, and all these teams, you know, they were formerly in the Big East along with Notre Dame and, uh, you know, from, with the other sports, I should say, but as well as football. But so now they're periodically playing since both of them are in the ACC. So when you think of Notre Dame Pitt football, what do you think of? Um,. I don't mean it was my first college experience. That's that's what comes to mind for me personally. Was it? Um, we played at Pitt in 2005. It would have been, you know, been Charlie Weiss's first game as a head coach. Okay. Um, but as far as like the relationship and the rivalry, I mean, you you always get a pretty tough game, um, regardless of I think the record. Um, of the opposing team. I mean, it was an interesting place to play. Uh, I think I had a, it would have been maybe my junior year, possibly my senior year, had a uh, a pretty hilarious interaction. Uh, Shaq Evans was uh, a wide receiver who he ended up transferring to UCLA. UCLA yeah. uh, but a few fans were really ragging on him and he started climbing up into the, into oh, the stands. <laughs> And, uh, Sounds like something Golden Tate would have done, not Shaq well, Evans. That's probably that's probably that 100% is true. So of course, me, you know, as fast and as quick as I am, was like, we got to shut this down. So I like went and tackled him and grabbed him, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, buddy, you need to you need to have a have a thought real quick, take a deep breath. This is definitely not going to be worth it. So I know I know this doesn't really answer the question to playing every year, but you know, I there are so many different games that you know come on and off the schedule there are a lot that have been on Notre Dame's schedule for a long time again I, th- I think it's always a pretty competitive game um you know certainly 
Pitt gets up for a game against Notre Dame, you know, whether it's there or whether it's um, it's in South Bend. So they play tough. They're usually pretty hard-nosed. Yeah. Um, and, and especially going on the road there, I know that that's not really going to be the case given that, you know, you can't have a full stadium. But it usually was a, a pretty um, – uh, the environment, it wasn't necessarily super, super loud. Uh, it was mean. <laughs> they were not very kind. They were Pittsburgh. And, uh, they were Pittsburgh hard nosed people, huh? <laughs> that's probably, that's probably pretty true. I mean, between that and then, you know, we played in happy Valley against Penn state, you know, we're getting like spit on as we're walking to the, you know, walking from the, um, locker room, which there at happy Valley, you know, you walk from the locker room and you walk through the concourse um to the to the uh, to the field which was pretty neat so between those two i guess there's yeah there's something in the water in those parts where um you know it's they're they're pretty aggressive the fans are pretty aggressive <laughs> were, were all your games at at heinz field that you played uh, out there yes yes they were yeah it was just built i think a few years before 05 that, that you were talking about there so i couldn't remember if which they played that, there right that area there is pretty cool right um you know just a kind couple of, of different pros yeah a couple of different pro stadiums um kind of built into the city there was pretty neat so you know the bus the bus ride from the hotel um to the um to the park was pretty neat you know it's a, it's a cool little area there for sports yeah for sure do, do you feel any differently about tomorrow's matchup right now compared to how you felt about it at the start of the season? Not, not really. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, given the context of a 12 to seven win, you know, everyone's maybe kind of, you know, holding their collective breath uh, because, you, you know, if you, if you have a, a caliber game like that, where I don't think too many people really thought maybe that the, that the game was going to be out of hand, but anytime you keep it that close for that long, you know, you're a player two away, even though if you look at the stat line, right, you look at the stats outside of touchdowns. Um, I mean, you're pretty much dominating uh, the football game for the, you know, for four quarters, um, controlling the line of scrimmage and, and doing things that you should do. You just weren't cashing in and scoring touchdowns. Um, so that's kind of the silver lining, but you know, for me, I think it's you're you're. I, I still see a Notre Dame team that's in a position to win on a weekly basis, with Clemson being the game that everyone's going to circle. So I, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel any worse. I don't necessarily think I feel any better. I think I feel probably about the same. Okay. Um, that I did as, as I did going into the season, where I think they're going to be favored. I think you're going to get a smash mouth, tough physical football game for four quarters and you may have to win a game that's you know a, a touchdown and a field goal or, or, or a couple of touchdowns where um again you feel like notre dame is in control but it's not a blowout victory yeah i i i think i feel about the same as well i, I we've been saying as we look at pittsburgh that because of the defense pitt has they can Make Notre Dame's offense maybe have to play a little ugly. That's what happened a couple of years ago. That's what they've been doing to teams for the most part this year. Miami, you know, maybe it kind of started off a little bit clunkier, a little bit close, but Miami with with more talent separated itself as the game went on. I think that's something Notre Dame can do. I think the biggest thing for Notre Dame is they, they have a lot better running game coming into this game than they had a couple of years ago. They didn't run the ball very well two years ago at Notre Dame Stadium against Pittsburgh, and, and some of the key guys up front for Pittsburgh are the same, and they're obviously going to play the same defensive style. Can they run the ball better? Can they have a little bit more balance? Can that be an effective 
part of the offense. I think that's the big thing because Ian Book had to throw a lot. I think he he was like 12 of 15 in the second half. He was pretty good, but he was uncomfortable for a lot of that game. And, and watching him last week against Louisville at times when he was back there, just kind of how he was in the pocket. And we'll talk more about Ian Book a little bit later, but it just reminded me the most probably of what we saw when Notre Dame faced Pittsburgh a couple of years ago. So that kind of sent up some <laughs> warning signals, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm not expecting a work of art tomorrow. I've been thinking that this could be an ugly, grinded-out kind of game. I mm-hmm. think Notre Dame, I think, you know, the, the defenses are going to be pretty even. Notre Dame has a much better offense. So that should ultimately be the difference. Yeah, I mean, if Notre Dame's defense is able to get some stops and and do you know what Miami did to Pitt as far as stopping the run, I mean that's you're going to put yourself in a, in a pretty good position. And you know what could happen then is you know if, if Pitt's defense is on the football field for a long time, you know it's it's going to start you're going to start to break down. It's just it's just how it works. You know the more opportunities you get, and Notre Dame does have enough talent offensively. So, if, you know, if Notre Dame can stop the run and uh, conversely on the offensive side, get something going on the running in the running game. Um, you know, I think it's one of those where, you know, mid to late third quarter, they start to pull away. But yeah. who knows? I mean, if they get if they get hot early, you know, and, and we saw that a few weeks ago, granted, against a different caliber opponent. But, you know, if, if they can get hot, you know, that's that's on the table, too, with what they're doing. But it, it, it always kind of has that feel of. Okay, you know these guys are going to go head to head for a couple of quarters and beat each other up, and mm-hmm. then you know it's it's going to come down to who's getting off the football field on third down, and you know which defense is going to outlast um, the other one. You know which one is not right. going to be on the field as long. Yeah. Okay, so I touched on Clemson a little bit. It's two weeks away. So after watching Notre Dame's first four games of the season, I asked Darren Pritchett this this week. I asked him last week, too, for that matter. But then we revisit it after Louisville. Do you feel better, worse, or unchanged about Notre Dame's chances to beat Clemson compared to the start of the season? Well, I don't know. Probably worse. They scored 70 <laughs> points last week. <laughs> That's right. I mean, their punter was throwing passes in the fourth quarter. That's right. Like, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence, what, he was like 24 of 32. And I saw in an interview, he was like, I probably left four passes out there that I should have completed. And I think we probably left two touchdowns. You know, it's like, yeah, we could we could have scored high 80s or 90 points. Like, our bad for that. Uh-huh. Jay Bramblett's uh, run a couple times, got stuffed on the fake field goal last week. He hasn't been throwing the ball around like Clemson's punter was. <laughs> it's un- it's unbe- unbelievable. Um, I-, I don't know. You know, that one for me, you know, going into the season um, and-, and knowing what this Notre Dame team had, at least to a certain extent, right, I, I banked on them having a pretty good defense. Um, there are a couple of things that their defense isn't doing that I thought they would. Um, a lot of that was timely turnovers, right? We haven't mm-hmm. seen a ton of that. We haven't seen as many pressures and sacks this year. Um, and, and that part of it, I think, is a little bit concerning, especially if you have somebody as good as Trevor Lawrence. You know, if you let him sit back there and you're not, not able to create pressures, um, you know, he's going to pick you apart. Uh, offensively, I think it's it's close to what I thought. You know, I think I, I believed Ian Book was going to click with the wide receivers at a little bit higher of a, um, you know, or at least a little quicker, um, a higher rate than we've seen. The pleasant surprise has been the emergence of the running back room and certainly the play of the offensive line, right? Um, so I think in looking forward to that game, 
Uh, it's really going to come down to defensively, can they are they able to put pressure on a really good quarterback? Well, um, if they don't, I mean, the game could be you know <laughs> it could be over really quickly. And you brought up a, a a good point about the pressures and sacks because they only have nine sacks through four games, and they've only caused three turnovers through four games, and that's one thing for as great as the defense looked last week, they're not they're not doing that. They're 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 not making those game changing type defensive plays by causing turnovers they were the number four team in the nation in turnover ratio last year because they caused 29 turnovers and they got to the quarterback now now they weren't sort of like you know they 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 weren't one of the top you know high-end teams in the nation in in sacks but uh, they were ahead of the pace that they're on right now but looking at the last two games against louisville and florida state as an example they've had 19 possessions and on 14 of those 19 possessions Notre Dame has started with the ball inside its own 30-yard line. And on all 19, they've started on their side of the field. They have not been given, you know, better field position by the defense because the defense isn't kind of creating those havoc plays right now. Now, I'm not trying to put everything on the defense, but, you know, that can help an offense that's having, you know, some, some, some of the kind of inconsistencies that Notre Dame is having throwing the ball and doing that kind of stuff right now. When you have to consistently go 65-plus yards to get to the end zone, you know that, that makes it less manageable. They need a little help from that other side of the ball like they got last year when they caused 29 turnovers. Well, I think, too, especially when you're not hitting on explosives offensively. Right, exactly. Right? You know, it's kind of looking like it's got to be an 8- to 12-play drive you know, with a mix of runs and passes um, without a lot of chunk plays. And you're right, that's that's hard, um, you know, to try to stay on schedule like that. It means that your execution has to be at a pretty high level um, each and every drive uh, for you at least to go down there and get some points. Um, it, yes, it, it, it helps when you get a short field, right? Um, and, 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 a, and a turnover is huge because you also get a momentum swing um, as well. And then to be able to go in and cash in on that. So that's an interesting stat. I hadn't seen that yet um, as far as, you know, where their, their average starting field position is. Um, and, and then also to just, you know, how their offense, I think, currently is structured is it, it doesn't necessarily set up great to – put a ton of points on the board, especially when you're playing a good defense who's going to grind it out and force you to do those things. Yeah, I do a little, like when I'm taking notes for the game and you're getting ready for the post-game show, I've got my little drive chart here so I can kind of look at what they did on each drive. And I just was kind of glancing down at it the other day and I looked and I went, man, that's <laughs> that's a lot of relatively deep in Notre Dame territory. Then I went back and looked at my Florida State chart from the week before and it's like that is a lot you're deep in your own territory you know so i just i think that especially in this game tomorrow against an offense that is really one-dimensional they they don't run the ball very well they throw the ball a lot and depending on who the quarterback is i mean this is this is a game where i think that they could potentially make a lot of those plays pittsburgh's put the ball on the ground 12 times this year they've only lost three fumbles but that's a lot of times putting the ball on the ground so there could be some opportunities out there for the irish tomorrow yeah and that'd be i mean that'd be great you know if i'm in book sign me up for that give me a short field that's right maybe we, take a, maybe we take a shot down you know i mean that's it's something that you could uh, you could count on from clark lee's defense over the past few years and and it really did help the offense um and, and i think too again as you've said a couple of times you know given 
given what they've done the last few weeks and especially this last week, you know, that'd be a huge boost. So last week, of course, in the 12-7 win over Louisville, the defense gave up just 219 total yards on 45 plays. That's 4.9 yards per play. That's rushing and uh, receiving combined. Louisville just 96 yards on 23 carries, 4.2 per carry. JV and Hawkins, the running back, held to 62 yards. Malik uh, Cunningham, the quarterback, 49 yards. Defense just really good. All day, Cunningham was just 17 of 22 for 123 yards, 5.6 per attempt. So I guess my question, Evan, any questions we had about the defense against Florida State? Do you think they were answered against Louisville last week? I think so. And and, and really, again, looking back at, uh, you know, the previous week, um, you know, any time in offense, I mean, we're talking about turnovers and wanting the defense to do the same thing, you know. I think Notre Dame's defense, given that you know Notre Dame's offense turned the ball over a couple a couple of times uh, two weeks ago, um, you know maybe painted a different picture on what we really saw. I thought that they they still played pretty well, um, but anytime you can go out there and you can limit a team to seven points for four quarters, um, I think that you know you'll you'll silence some critics who maybe thought there was um, a perceived issue. So. You know, I think this defense will continue to keep Notre Dame in football games. Um, you know, they, they do a nice job of bending but not breaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the next aspect certainly has to be in, in creating some of those havoc plays, whether it be a sack, um, you know, to, to, to put somebody deep where then you're getting a punt, you know, to the short side uh, or a turnover. So those right. are the two things that I'm kind of looking at as we, you know, we get into the middle and then to the second half of the season is, um, the bend but don't break mentality. Plus, okay, give me some bonus now. You know, I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more flavor there to help help out the the offense. He's former Notre Dame quarterback Evan Sharpley. I'm Sean Styers. Leprechaun lunch with Sean and Sharpley, presented by Bud Light Seltzer on this Friday. We're with you every Friday from noon until one o'clock. Before we take a timeout and uh, talk a little Ian Book in our next segment, let's talk about. What happened in the red zone? Because I think that that was really the difference in the game, and the game being as close as it was. Notre Dame ran 15 plays for 24 yards. Now, this does not include the final drive where they took a knee at the end of the game. So this is the uh, the, the the four primary drives they had in the red zone. 15 plays, 24 yards. Four of the 15 plays were for minus yards. That. Uh, counting incompletions, eight of the 15 were for zero or negative yards. Six rushes for 26 yards, and uh, half of that came on the 13-yard touchdown run by Ian Book. Book was two for six for 11 yards, three sacks in the red zone for minus 13 yards. And, uh, of course, they had the fake field goal as well. Let's hear first, before we uh, talk about this a little bit, Brian Kelly, what needs to happen for better efficiency in the red zone for the Fighting Irish this year? There's a lot of pieces to that, right? It's, um, it, you know, it's it's a high level of um, execution that has to occur. And, um, you know, I've looked at all the aspects of it over the past uh, 24 hours. Uh, we have a plan moving forward. Uh, but I don't think you need to... Um, you know, spend much time uh, thinking about anything else other than we've got to be better in that area moving forward. Um, and uh, 
Look, I think it's 16 of 21 um, in in the red zone in particular. Now, in three instances, that was head coach controlled. In other words, twice I called for the ball to be run out, um, that we would run the ball to end the game. And one I called a, a fake field goal. So, you know, we're 16 of 19 in terms of scoring in that area. That's still not good enough. Um so this isn't to explain away anything. Uh, this is that we need to be better. We've examined every area, and there's a lot of pieces to that that um, you can imagine that my attention is at 100% on um, that's got to be better, and um, we'll work diligently to make sure it is. Notre Dame currently tied for 50th for the season in red zone efficiency. Now, I mean, that last drive where they took a knee does count against them on those overall stats, obviously. But 16 scores in 20 red zone trips, 80%. They were 93% last year, so they're well below where they were last year. So, from a, a play calling standpoint, how much does play calling change once you get into the red zone? Here's Brian Kelly. Play calling does change down there because it's, the defense has changed down there. Um, you know, teams tend to get in either man coverage or bracket coverage. So, um, you know, there's there's a change in, you know, where you are on the field. For us, it's been a lack of execution, uh, detailed execution. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we have to spend more time. We have to allocate more time and practice for it. Uh, and, and playmakers need to make plays down there as well. And, and that's quarterbacks, receivers, offensive linemen. You know, coaches have to be able to uh, highlight individual players down there. We have to put packages together that, you know, I, look, I, I'm, I'm not here to make analogies in, in all circumstances, but it's a power play in a sense that, you know, you've got to put your sharpshooters in position to score down there, too. So, you know, all of that is part of it. And, and you're, you know, you're putting your offense against what defenses like to do in that area as well. So there's a bit of a chess match. There's a bit of a, um, you know, matchups are, are important down there. Um as you get closer, um, there's a will down there. You know, we think we can run the ball in on anybody down there. Uh, we've been in high red situations and in, in mid-range red situations where where a lot of our issues have been uh, for the most part. Okay, so there's Brian Kelly. And right there at the end, I guess, is, is the head scratcher maybe because he said they think they can run the ball on anyone down there and most of the plays occurred you know back around the 15 yard line and and beyond uh but they only had six rushes out of those 15 plays that they had and their best running back kyron williams only touched the ball once in all four of those red zone trips so i I guess i'll just ask you evan what what can they do to be better in the red zone um well, I mean, you know, Kelly, I think he talked about a few of the different aspects. I mean, there are some challenges when you get into the red zone. Um, you know, they, they do. You, know, you see a lot of bracket coverage, um, which normally means, you know, there's a guy, uh, at least in coverage, who's inside and outside of, you know, each pass catching um, player. So whether that's a tight end, uh, a wide receiver, potentially a running back, if he motions out, um, you're getting brackets so that the spaces are really tight. 
right? So you have to do a good job in play design. And at least in my experience, right, we we would have kind of our, our base set of plays um, that would be, you know, from, you know, what we would use in the field. And it'd be by right hash or left hash and by formation and personnel groupings. But then our flavors changed a bunch when we get into the red zone, right? It'd be something a lot more specific where we, whether we were going to get bracket coverage or we were going to get man, you know, we knew that we had a play that could probably be both. Um, but with the windows being tighter, I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's a little more difficult um, to, to go in there and, and really have a clean picture. Uh, you know, sometimes it's going to be a 50-50 ball. Um, but, you know, play design can, can certainly go into it as well. Um, you know, we had a lot of really cool, I mean, we had a, you know, a number of different pop passes, you know, a lot of times when we were inside the 10, that would be a hard run fake. Um, and then somebody would kind of trickle out and you'd high point it. And, and, you know, we had a lot of success with that. We also had a couple of different ones where we'd high low, you know, that that's how you beat a bracket coverage is you try to high low one zone. So, you know, it's, it's, if you have a guy that's in the flat and you have a guy behind him, you know, kind of in that same zone, it puts pressure on, well, you know, what does that defensive back or that cover person do in order to, um, to make the play? I think it is a little bit curious, right? That you, you have so much success running the football and then, you know, your top dog, as far as the running back position goes, is not getting more touches. Um, but you know, the thing is with that, and, and I'd probably have to take a little bit of a deeper dive and a closer look, Sean, is what exactly those coverages and those, and those uh, boxes looked like, you know, did it, did it dictate actually handing the football off? Right. Um, or was there, you know, was there something that was changed the line of scrimmage? Were there two plays that were called in the huddle? Um, you know, th- that, that's part of the conversation as well, because every team wants to be able to, you know, buckle down and say, you know, we're going to run this football in. But if you get a loaded box and you are getting man coverage, or even if you're getting a bracket coverage and you have a linebacker who's kind of a, a tweener position where he mm-hmm. can affect the run and the pass, you, you know, you may get a quarterback. Well, I, as a quarterback, you're probably going to be a little more biased to have the football in your hands. And if that's the call that you're going to make, you know, that's, that's the, the type of play that you're going to get. So right. some of it is a mentality as well, right? I mean, there hasn't been as, as much practice time likely spent on um, red zone. You know, you do as much as you can, but um, that's one of those between two minute red zone. Um, you know, those are kind of the situational side of things where granted, if you had had more time, you know, maybe you're, you are able to be a little more creative. They could be a little more vanilla right now with what they're doing and um, may need to expand their package a little bit in the coming weeks because if you want to win football games, certainly you got to score touchdowns. Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, in fairness, there was a drop by Javon McKinley. There was a ball in the back of the end zone where Kevin Austin made the catch, originally called a touchdown, reversed by replay correctly. He didn't get his foot down in the back of the end zone, so two close plays there. Another ball little bit low in the end zone to McKinley I felt like maybe a little bit better effort and he's got a chance to make that catch based on what we've seen from him so far so I mean it's you know again there's there's plenty of of blame I guess to go around it's not on not all on one person or just play calling it's you know a little bit better execution here and there as well would you feel significantly better about last week's game if the score had been say 24 or 28 to 7 instead of just 12 to 7 well, I mean, it would have meant that they were executing a little bit better. Um, <laughs> For you know, sure. But, but you, I mean, but you have those games. Um, and an ugly win is still a win. And, 
it as terrible it is to say that, you know, but when and move uh, on a W yeah, W it, yeah. it is, you know, and, and probably more than ever this year it is, it's survive in advance. Um, and, and they've done that. Um, but I, I think for the health of Irish fans across the nation, they probably would have loved, you know, a little bit more of a cushion. I think it's going into the fourth quarter. What makes it harder to digest is the fact that it was a bad defense that everyone was expecting to see a lot more from the offense against. I think that that yeah, no is the biggest thing to me. So, all right, let's take our first time out. When we come back, we'll jump into the offense a little bit more, including some thoughts on Ian Book. And the passing game uh, wasn't quite there last week. Still some some uh, room for growth there to go along with that running game that the Fighting Irish had and, and uh, the receivers as well. We'll jump into that when we come back. Sean and Sharpley, Leprechaun Lunch, presented by Bud Light Seltzer on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. <laughs> Leprechaun Lunch on Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. I was just looking at the uh, the weather radar this morning as a line of thunderstorms come rolling through our area. And then I saw Bob Montgomery over on WSBT 22. It was in the 70s. It was the low 70s here a little bit ago. And meanwhile, it was in the 40s. In Chicago, so that uh, the the, the clashing coming. <laughs> that's right, the clashing of warm and cold has brought the thunderstorms through the area, and it's uh, looks like we're going to get. I think the heaviest stuff looks like is is passing through South Bend right now, but looks like we're going to get some light, at least some light stuff for the rest of the day. So there's your forecast. Thank <laughs> you, Sean. <laughs> yes, yes, no problem. All right, so. We talked about Notre Dame's red zone struggles last week, and uh, the, the, the the passing game was inconsistent at best. Ian Book, 11 of 19, sacked four times. The team ended up rushing for 232 yards, but 11 of 19, just 106 yards for Ian Book last week. And uh, Ben Skoranek, two catches, 28 yards. Kevin Austin, one catch for 18 yards. That was, I think, on the first drive of the game. It ended up being the longest pass play of the day for the Fighting Irish, but most of it was yards after catch. It was a short reception by Austin that he turned into 18 yards. Here's Brian Kelly on what can help improve the passing game. This has been a revolving door at the wide receiver position. We couldn't even get, you know... um, Braden Lindsay, you know, up to full speed. He, you know, we got his GPS numbers, and he's the, the kid's a gamer. He's trying to play. Uh, we're hoping he's going to be better this week. Um, you know, so you know Ben's in there for the first time. You know, so you've got a first-time player playing the X position four weeks into the season. You know, Kevin Austin's trying to you know round himself into you know game-ready position. Um, uh, I'd like to be able to tell you that we can extend our practices longer, but we're not. Um, you know, we've got to be cognizant of uh, where we are. I think we probably pushed them a little bit too much, quite frankly, in, in practice. And, and we've got to be able to pull off a little bit in terms of, you know, making sure that our guys have got uh, fresh legs and uh, uh, are, you know, they're practicing so hard and so well for me that, you uh, 
you know, we've got to we've got to be able to see the benefits of that on Saturday. So it's just work in progress, and we'll continue to work on the details of of the passing game with those receivers and, and Ian Book moving forward. Ian or Ian <laughs> Evan? <Hello. laughs> yes, Mr. Quarterback. <laughs> just, just it seems like. This talk about receivers not getting separation is nothing new. It's it's something that we've been talking about for years now with just intermittent, you know, some progress made. Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin. How is it that college quarterbacks around the country can complete passes every week, game after game, year after year, not necessarily have NFL caliber receivers? as their target because it seems like that's what we fall back on here it's well you lost chase claypool you lost miles boykin economius st brown will fuller you know so now you're just stuck with with these average joes other teams are completing passes downfield so why is it that we're always talking about lack of separation you know on on the years that you don't have those big time guys i mean well that's what that's kind of what comes to mind and uh, you know the, the tough part with that is you would hope that you're able to to develop some type of um, you know game plan to execute and, and hit those areas on the football field because you know you want to be able to stretch teams. You know it helps out the running game. You know it adds quite a bit of balance to your offense. But you know to hit mid range to long range, you know it's 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 important. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of right now the missing thing. And and sure, you know it is a it is a new receiving group and. My my thing is now at this point is we're not in game one. Right. Um, I think that that's something that you know there is there's definitely valid arguments where it's like okay these guys that are running out here right now, not one of them has has been a starter. Right. I mean it's a it's a brand new cast of characters and yes losing a guy like Chase Claypool was huge. I mean he was he was the MVP of that team during the second half of the season for sure. Um, the way that he stepped up and played. And right now, there really isn't someone that's doing that on, on a weekly basis at the wide receiver position. So I, I think there's a, there's some points to be made about, you know, the separation argument. But still, at the same time, I mean, you can game plan to get guys open. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's part of it as well. And I, I've got to think that right now, if I'm Tommy Reese and the rest of the offensive coaching staff, I, you know, I'm sitting in the, the planning room saying, OK, maybe we don't have a guy who's on that breakout level like we've had the past couple of years. I mean, I wouldn't have guessed that Miles Boykin was going to have the type of year he did either, right. and he did. Um, and a lot of that was just, you know, going out there and, and, and playing very physical. So, uh, you know, I think that Reese is probably, you know, they're looking at, okay, well, how can we maybe game plan to get some guys open? How can we take some shots in this area of the field based on the coverages that we're getting? So, um I mean, you'd still like a guy like Ian Book, who's been in the system too, to you know give his guys an opportunity, um, and I and I, I think that he will. You know, it's it's one of those trust things where it is a new cast of characters. But again, um, we're midway through the season. You know, you would hope at this point now that there'd be some rapport and there'd be a little bit more consistency. Um, and if there, we found anything, the the level of consistency has just been inconsistent. Yeah, that's exactly right, and. The quarterback, Ian Book, only has three touchdown passes. Now he has six touchdown runs, so you know he's been able to do that. But he only has three touchdown passes through four games. And this is a guy who threw 35 touchdown passes 
last year. And he's 27 starts into his career now at Notre Dame. So fill in the blank here for me. 27 starts into his career. Ian Book is blank. I'm still going to say underappreciated. Okay. Um, I think that he's done a very nice job in the starting role. Um, I think that, you know, that you're probably still left wanting a little bit more at this point right now. And I'll tell you what, man, he set the bar so high when he came onto the scene. Um, I mean, we were talking about every game. He was like 70, 75% completion percentage, you know, 275 to 315 yards, three or four touchdowns and a couple rushing touchdowns. I think that that's all still very valid and can happen. Um, and, and perhaps the concerning part is, and there's been a lot of talk about this just in general with Notre Dame quarterbacks has been, why are their steps taken back? over the course of several years, right? Uh And I don't know if I have a great answer on that, um, on why exactly that's happening. Certainly when there's more film on you and teams kind of know what you're able to do, they're going to game plan to try to take the things that you, you know, you you do well, try to take those things away. And you're going to have to make some plays maybe in some areas that you're not necessarily comfortable in doing. You know, any quarterback is going to be made to look pedestrian if he's getting pressured. You know, it's, I don't care who you are. If you've got guys in your face and teams are creative and, and getting people to you, um, then you're going to you're gonna have a tough time, you know, going out there and, and playing at a high level. So I still think if you look at his overall, you know, what he's done overall, I mean, he's a winner. I mean, you can't mess okay. with his record as okay, a starting BK. quarterback, right? <laughs> I mean, it's – but it's true. I mean – yeah, you want to you want to have a guy that's going to go out there and put you know huge stats on the board every single week. But if there's one thing that we've seen, right, he's a competitor. Um, you know, I think the guys in the huddle and the team respect him um, as a leader of this team. Um, but as we're doing, we're already talking about what's happening a couple weeks from now. Is is he going to be able to go out there and do something special against a really good right. football team? Right, and, and, and that's, I mean, it's one thing to do it against a bunch of unranked teams week after week, year after year for his third year now. I mean, but I wish every I time could have gone out there and played well against an unranked <laughs> no, team. I mean, I mean, that's fair, too. I'd give every, I'd give that's every fair. You're right. You know. Maybe he is underappreciated because of that. Because I think at the start of the week, Darren and I talked about the fact that we did, in fact, that five years ago, Notre Dame probably loses on Saturday, against last Saturday against Louisville. They probably lose that game five years ago. Um, you know, maybe they lose to Duke and Florida State, and the complexion of this team is, or this season is a lot different. I mean, that's a fair point, but they're winning those games against unranked teams now, but they are still, I think it is three and three against ranked teams over these last three years now so to me just to say he's a winner i mean that's in part because he's he it's it's a complimentary game you you know they're they're sort of they're they're playing this complimentary game it is low risk not necessarily high reward offense because they have a really good defense that that can keep them in game so it's it's like risk aversion right but if you are a terrible quarterback you're going to lose. So. I mean, that's that's true. But I guess my point is we came into this season for Ian Book, and my answer is he is who he is at this point. Okay. And nothing more, right? Like, Ian Book is who he is. I, I, I Personally, I think we have seen Ian Book's ce- ceiling. Now, you know, maybe 
maybe again because this is a low risk offense that he's in. Maybe if if he's in another system and they're taking more shots and, and doing other things, maybe all of a sudden you see a different guy. I don't know, but at least for where he is right now, I, I just don't think that there is much more on the upward spike because we came into this season go, okay, if he can do this, if he can do this, then this team is going to elevate and go here. But now you've got this great running game that they can lean on. You've got this you great know, defense on the other side of the ball. I just don't think that there's that much more. You know, it's what's so crazy about it, though, right, is, I mean, he's sitting top five in, like, every category. You know, I mean, he's his career completion percentage is higher than Brady Quinn's, Jimmy Clausen's, Tommy Reese, Ron Paulus. I mean, <laughs> He's what? He's, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. I just, I just, I, for the record, <laughs> the guy who tells me every week that stats are for losers is throwing I do, a bunch though. of stats at no, me. No, right I do. Now, right? I'm just, all right, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I mean, I have to throw a couple of those out there. All right, there. I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure that's the guy yeah, I'm talking I mean, to. Okay, but, right, I mean, we're, it's the same guy. Yes, it's the same okay. guy. And I'm with you. I, it's still, that's still the quote that I stand by. But, you know, obviously he's, he's not, you know, he's not chump change where, you know, he's, what, a, a touchdown pass away. I think he's tied with, with Clawson right now for third all-time. He's one away from Reese um, for career touchdown passes. Um, you know, that, that still, to me, I think is why I go with the underappreciated side. And, and, and I can you know, see and, that argument. And he's also a multiple-year starter, you know, which I think is, is has been lost at Notre Dame. And I saw something funny, you know, I think a fan calling him Tommy Reese 2.0. Which there are there are definitely some similarities there between you know what they've done on paper. Um, both guys won a high percentage of games and right. you know threw up a bunch of stats um, that I don't think your I guess your average fan would be like really both of those guys are top five like in touchdown passes, completion percentage, um, yards and wins. Yeah. <laughs> that probably wouldn't be your first guess. Is, that's, that was your thought. I guess here is here is ultimately the question, because Clemson's two weeks away, and a really good defense is waiting tomorrow even. But is, is, is Ian Book that we're seeing right now, is the Ian Book we're seeing right now the Ian Book that can lead Notre Dame to an upset win over Clemson or beat any top 10 team. Oh, at the end of the day, that's that's the biggest hurdle that he still hasn't cleared, right? It, it, so is right. the is the Ian book that yeah. we've seen now that guy? Can he can he lead a team to that? I think he can, but, but like I said, it's, you know, he's got to do something special in that moment. Um, you know, if we're talking about what we saw a week ago, no, that's not going to cut it against Clemson, right? I mean, that's not going to get it done. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I think too, you know, given the opportunity, right, if he goes out there and plays at a high level against a team like Clemson, you're going to put yourself in a position to win a football game. Um, but there's a lot of pressure that's involved with that too. And, and I'm assuming um, he feels some of that, right? I mean, you, you maybe don't think about it, but you think about it like, you know, we haven't beat these teams, you know, and, and, yeah. and we want to go out there and you want to play so well. And sometimes when you try to play so well, you do some things maybe that you shouldn't do. So, you know, ultimately, I hope he doesn't change too many things. But, yeah, you got to have a special performance when you're going to go out there and play yeah. a team that's going to be as good as Clemson and, and, and a good defense that you're going to see in Pitt tomorrow. And I don't want to make it because I'm not I'm not anti Ian Book. I think there are some things that he does really well, but at the same time, 
if the ultimate goal is college football playoff and and getting there means beating Clemson at least once, if not twice, that's still the biggest thing for me. And it just doesn't seem like what we've seen so far that that we have seen that from his from his play. It's it's good enough to beat a, a, a lot of average teams, but it's I, I you know I don't think that it's necessarily shown. That it's good enough to beat the elite teams. All right, we're way behind for a break, so we got to get one now. We'll come back and uh, throw a few questions at you before we wrap things up today. Leprechaun Lunch with Sean and Sharply, presented by Bud Light Seltzer, Sports Radio 96.1 WSBT. Get a little pep in your step. All right. <laughs> Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Leprechaun Lunch with Sean and Sharply, presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Light and refreshing. A hit of fruit flavor, Bud Light Seltzer. Also by Legacy Heating and Air. Trust Legacy for all your heating, cooling, and now plumbing needs. By Edward Jones. Sean Stevens in South Bend. Bob Borlick in North Liberty. Indiana Oxygen. Indiana Born. Indiana Owned. Indiana Proud. Indiana Oxygen. County Road. 20 in Elkhart and by Four Winds Casino, South Bend, Escape the Everyday. Along with Evan Sharpley, Sean Styers, we've got just about a minute and a half here. Evan, Big Ten football starts tonight, Wisconsin and Illinois, and uh, full weekend coming up this weekend. we got Ohio State, Nebraska tomorrow. Eight games in eight weeks is what they plan to play. Do you think that's realistic? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Something's going to happen. I can already feel it. And I've already seen where, like, they've got all these very, very tight rules on, like, for example, if a player tests positive for COVID-19. 21 days, right? Yeah, exactly. He's got to, he can't play for 21 days. So if you have an outbreak anywhere close to what Notre Dame had, I mean, you're going to lose. Three weeks. That's right. You're You're done. You're about done. If I gave you Alabama and Clemson or the rest of the field to win the national championship right now, who'd you take? Alabama and Clemson. (laughs) (laughs) I think so, too. Maybe we'll see from Ohio State, but I think that I would take uh, them as well. People are calling Notre Dame tight end Michael Mayer Baby Gronk because he wears number 87. Do you have a better nickname for Michael Mike Mayer? Golick, Mike Golick Jr. calls him Magic Mike, so I'm going with that one. I love uh, that. He stole that from me. <laughs> oh, it was you. Come on. Right. Come on. Sean, coming in strong. <laughs> I love Magic Mike. And I mean, That's great. The way he hurdled that guy last week. Come on. Yep. I all think in, he on, all in on that one. Yeah, I absolutely Magic Mike think all day. so as well. All right. I love it. I'm glad somebody else likes Magic Mike. <laughs> all right, Evan. We'll talk to you next week. All right, see ya. For Mark, back in the studio for Evan Sharpley, Sean Styers, we're presented by Bud Light Seltzer, WSBT South Bend.